without our Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts. Amen. With Him, we can do everything, but without Him, we can do nothing. Amen. We are thankful that the Lord is always with us and even in us. Amen. Before we go to the reading of the Word, let's bow our heads and let us pay respects to the Lord, the author of the Word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that once again you've given us this blessed opportunity, Lord, to talk about your word. It's all about your word. It's not about us. And we thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is dwelling in our hearts, making this precious word be made known to our, to our life, Lord, that we may understand, that we may see the path of life that we should walk on. Father God, without your word, we will just be in this insane world that we are living in. But we thank you, Lord. You have set us apart, cleansed us for your service, O oh God. And so, Lord, as we continue with this service and the flow of the Holy Spirit that was with us this morning, we just want to continue reading your word, continue to speak to us, O oh God. Continue to tell us what we need to do. Instruct us, Lord. Give us admonition. Give us a reminder, Lord, that we are not that we are not permanent on this earth. We are just pilgrims and we need to, to fulfill your purpose in our life. I pray, Father God, that the words that will be spoken this evening will continue to strengthen us, encourage us until the day you come to take us away, O oh God. Bless your people tonight, Lord, as you have blessed us in many times. And Lord, once again, I yield myself to you. May you glorify your name in our midst. May you get Lord, all the praises and the honor as we end this service, O oh God. This is our prayer in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. So just before we sit down, I would like to greet you a good evening to everyone. And let's open our Bibles in the book of Mark, chapter 14. Book of Mark, chapter 14. And we will be reading from verse 3 to verse 8. Amen. Thank you to the musicians and the... God bless you all for creating the atmosphere. Amen. Verse 3 of chapter 14, uh, St. Mark, it says here, And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke, break, she broke the box and poured, poured it on his head. And there were some of, that had indignation with themselves and said, Why was this waste of ointment made? For it might have been sold for, the, for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor, and they've given to the poor, and they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and when whom and whensoever ye will, ye may do with them good. But, un, but me you have not always. 
Verse 8, she had done what she could. She's come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Amen. Our subject for today is in verse 8, she had done what she could. Amen. God bless his word. We can now be seated. Amen. She had done what she could. Amen. I think this is a great testimony that we can live on this earth when we go home to the Lord. We have done what we could. And you know, woman is a type of a church. Amen? It's a type of a church. And as a church, as a called out body of Christ, we want to do what we could for the service of God. Right? These verses that we read is a parallel verse in John chapter uh, 12. And let me just read it. It says here in verse 3, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her, with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the, the ointment. Then saith one of the disciples, in, in Mark chapter 14, they did, they, it was not named who the disciple was, but in John chapter 12, he named the disciple to be Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? If you stop at verse 5, you would think that Judas is so concerned, so loved the poor. But if you read verse 6, he said, Then he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a chief and had the bag and bear what was put on. Then, so he was, uh, he was not really caring, right, for the poor. In fact, he was a thief. He had this wrong motives and objectives in handling the mission fund, <laughs> right? And he can, he can pretend that he's concerned with how they use God's money, right? But deep down in his heart, because he holds the bag, he can get the money without knowing, without anybody knowing, right? So we can see, we can, we can, we can see that he didn't care for the poor. He was driven by an evil spirit. We should be careful what drives us in doing something. People may be doing ministry, but yet they're driven by an evil spirit, like Judas, right? But this woman with the alabaster box, he has, she has a sincere, very sincere desire to serve the Lord. In one point, it's, it's said that this is one year's wage, right? And why would she do this? See, we will, we will go to that later, but... We can see that here is a woman that, that, that wanted to serve the Lord with whatever she has. Whatever she has. Now in our Christian walk, when God presents us an opportunity to serve Him, we should do it passionately. Right? We should not uh, let the opportunity go without doing it. As the Bible said in the book of Ephesians, that the whole body is fitly joined together, every joint supplies. Right? There's no minor or major ministry in the body of Christ. There's no big people, small people, little ones. Whatever we do for God, we do for God. Not all are called preachers. Not all are called to be a musician. But we have our own little position, right? And, and, and Brother Barnum always illustrates, right, uh, this, this, this thing about uh, the jo jo the our different gifts, the different gifts in the body. And when you look at the, the, the inside of your watch, there's so many tiny mechanisms, right? And he always mentioned about the main spring, right? And let me just read to you a, 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 a quote here. He said, that main spring is the middle of that watch that makes every movement click to perfect time. See? So... The smallest spring or the main spring or the short hand or the, the long hand or the second hand, but whatever it is, it's part and it's essential. It is as essential as other parts. Remove a little part, this watch cannot work. Right? And he said, and when that Holy Spirit come in, there's something that moves. You can't understand what it is. It is a new supernatural being inside of you. See? You can, it makes you shout. It makes you praise the Lord. It makes you run. There's something happening. It says it's the mainspring of God's grace in the middle of your heart. Amen? 
controlling you, making you shine from, uh, from evil, you accept life, the mainspring will, uh, will make you will make you cast down all reasonings, accept God's word, get away from all, all of doubts. This is what the mainspring is doing, the Holy Ghost, right? And when we see that the, the Holy Ghost is moving in our hearts, we can do things that we were not doing, right? Uh, we, we, can, we, we are not used to praising the Lord. We are, we are not used to shouting. We are not used to praising uh, to raising our hands when we were not yet believers. But once you get in the spirit, amen, you're doing it without actually thinking about it. Because that mainspring, that Holy Ghost in you, that supernatural being makes you do it, right? So every part, every part of the body of Christ complements or should complement, I should say, each other. Not compete with one another, Who's the better one? Who's the greater one? And even the disciples, James and John, they were, they, they were contending about the, who is the greatest among them. But the, 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 the Lord Jesus Christ readily rebuked them that the greatest among you should be the servant of all. God was teaching his disciples, or Jesus Christ was teach, teaching his disciples the, the principle of humility. We do not go to a church to look for a position. In our, church, in our home church in the Philippines, if there's somebody new in the message or new in the church, and they would say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to your church, Brother Vernon, because I want to, to take part of the music ministry, or I want to preach, I want to share, and I said, there's no vacancy. <laughs> because going to church is not employment. I don't need the resume of the people to tell me what they can do for the Lord, because this is, I, said, I, I tell them, the reason... While, while you are in church, it's because your soul is being fed. Other than that, there's no valid reason. If you are going to church because you want to, to preach or to become an evangelist or to, to do something for the Lord, I think that is secondary. The first thing that, that, uh, that we should uh, uh, aim when we go to a church, when we look for a church, my, your soul is being fed. So no matter what happens inside the church, whether there will be church politics, whether there will be problems that will arise, you will not be affected. Because you are looking at the right thing. You want to be fed. And you don't, you don't care about what's happening around you. But if you want to go to a church because you want to have a ministry, right? And then you are not called for the ministry, and then you start murmuring right you start you, know, you will say that there's favoritism there's bias in the church and everything but because you went to the church with the wrong motive that is what happens but if you go to a church with the desire that in this church I will be fed my soul will, will, will grow my, 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 my spiritual walk with God will be enhanced then you will go every midweek service, every Sunday that you are so, uh, as the, the prophet, you cannot wait for them doors to open. Because you know that once you sit there, God will speak to you. Right? So that's the, the right motive in going to church. Now this church being, I would say, a multi-cultured uh, church, there's a diversity of thinking, we, we came, uh, you, or I would say you came from some other countries and you, God congregated you in this church and there are various testimonies and we are all blessed uh, how the Lord moved in your, in, your, in your life. And all of this, God can use for his glory if we yield ourselves to the Lord. We can strengthen one another or we can compete with one another. But we trust, amen, that our desire is to complement in the body of Christ. Okay, now, as I said a while ago, a woman is a type of the church. Now, Mary, she had, she had made uh, terrible mistakes in her life. He, that, uh, he had done so many sins, but when she was forgiven, she will do anything and everything for the glory of God. Whatever he, she has, she did it. All the earnings that she has, she bought a precious ointment. To anoint the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if, 
if God has forgiven so many sins that, you, that we committed, right? We can give so much to the Lord. The more sins that we have committed and were forgiven because God is a God who is rich in mercy, see? Then we want to give everything to the Lord. You want to, you want to, to, to make things right. Amen. Amen. I, I, I did not, I was not born in a message family. Philippines is predominantly Catholic. So obviously I, I was raised in a Catholic family. My mother was a very religious Catholic, but we never read the Bible. We prayed the, the rosary and all the Catholic stuff. But I have little knowledge about the Bible. So that was 30 years, the first 30 years of my life. And as a growing kid, you know, it is just normal to do the, the things that the world does because it's not being taught to us, no? the, the, the way of the Lord. Amen. Of course, you just be a good Catholic and you'll go to heaven, right? You pray your rosary every six o'clock in the evening, right? And then the rest you can do. See? So now... With this life, the first 30 years in my life, then one day somebody shared to me the message and I started to be transformed in what God wanted me to be. So the first three years of my being a believer, I was just sitting in a, in a church and listening and, 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 and just getting what I can get from the preaching of the word. Every midweek service, every Sunday service, every camp meeting, every joint fellowship, I would go there and read and read and, and, and listen to preaching. When I reached the age of 33, I was praying because I wanted to do something more for the Lord. And you know, as Brother Biscal would say, God always works in both ends. I was praying in the Philippines and I was asking, Lord, I am not, I was not even a minister during the time. And I said, Lord, I have set of skills that you have given me. And I wanted to use it for the glory of God. I was managing a, a department. I was working in a five-star hotel during the time and was managing the security department. And I said, I want to do something more for the Lord. And I was offering what I have in my, in, 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 in my capacity. And Brother Biscal and some of the elders there during the time they were looking for somebody to manage their mission office in the Philippines. So it, was, it, was, it is far from what I know. See? I have a military background. I have a security background, intelligence background. It's all about espionage and, you know, the things of you know, warfare. But this is a mission office. I, I know nothing about it. But in my heart, I want to do something, I, I remember my prayer, Lord, I want to do something that will help spread the message of the hour. Amen. But I don't know what it was. And then a missionary came to cut the story short. They were looking for a candidate who would manage. And then I was interviewed, became the manager of Bible Believers. And the first week that I was working there, or I would say the first month, I said, this is not what I like. <laughs> because it's far from what I was doing. And it's far from what I was earning. I have to leave my career, amen, leave the benefits, the compensation and benefits of, of the company that I was working for because there's something in my heart that wants to do something for the Lord. And I was young. I was 33 during that time. I, I said, I've wasted 30 years of my life. Moving forward, I want to do something that will have significance or, 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 or will have an eternal value. Right? So three years after I, became, I was baptized, I was now serving the Lord. And, and I mean, I was doing something for the Lord. And it was, a, it was a major decision in my life because I have four children. They were still small. They, I, I need a good paying job during the time. And the, the sign that I asked from the Lord, Lord, the, the prophet said, if you call the man, you call the wife. Right? So if I will tell my wife that I will resign from my position and get this this managing of a mission office, I, I pray that there will be no resistance from her. And when I told her that evening, he said, she, she just said, if the Lord is leading you to that direction, I'm 100% supporting you. So it was not hard for me, right? And so I walked into this direction that I am not 
I'm, I'm walking in unfamiliar territory. I didn't know any pastors except for my pastor. I didn't know how to operate uh, within the, the ranks of the believers. But God was very much, uh, he was very much uh, guiding me in my path. That the next seven years of my life, I was managing it. It was not smooth. There was much trials. There was much temptation for me to leave the ministry and go back to what I was doing best, right? And earning in that, in the, in that capacity. But I, I believe that going to the ministry is much of, uh, you will have to sacrifice something. And when you say sacrifice something, it, sometimes it will hurt you. But you have to do it. But when you know, and you know that you know in your heart that God is calling you to do something, it might not be a, a, a according to what you want, but God will guide you. Yes. Right? So God was guiding me. And seven years later, I became a pastor. Of course, much more responsibility doing this and doing that. Then I hit a midlife crisis at the age of 40 to 42, and I wanted to go back to the corporate world. I said, there's some unfinished business that I should accomplish. And I went to the, to the corporate world, uh, um, earning much money, but still doing the ministry. But I know that deep in my heart, I was not in the perfect will of God. And sometimes, my brothers, my sisters, if you are not in the perfect will of God, there will always be collateral damage. And that collateral damage may, may, may affect your family, may affect your health, may affect any part of your life. Because God wants you, you know, God is a jealous God. If he calls you, he calls you. He doesn't want a multitask servant of God. He wants you, he wants a, he wants you to stay focused. So it took me a number of years before I realized that, you know, I, I should not be stubborn and just go to where the Lord leads me. And sometimes you have to mature in age to understand that uh, you have to follow the word of God, the, the, the leading of the Lord 100%. But sometimes it's so easy you know, to run away from the presence of God. It's so easy to try to, to justify that you don't want to go God's way and you want to, do, to go your way. But if God really is in your heart, one day he will stop you on your tracks. Like Jonah, right? That he, he was, all this experience that he handled, that, that, that he experienced, uh, it is because God was pointing or putting him in the right position to, to fulfill his purpose in his life. Now, the reason why we do that, I believe, if I will base it on my own experience, the reason why I was doing that is because sometimes we take things so much for granted. We, I would say that uh, when, you, you, when you become a minister of, of, of the message, you, you don't become popular. You don't, you don't, be, you don't because we are not a denomination. We, we cannot be like a televangelist or something or, you know, get much of money. Because it is, it is the, the road less traveled, I would say, Right? I was always asked whenever, every time I go to different countries, what is the population in the Philippines? What? And I, I of course, I, 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 I give a wild guess, but the past few days I started looking at Google because I, I, did, I don't know. I don't have the revelation of what the population of the Philippines. And then I found out that our, our as of June 2000, uh, 2023, our Total population is 113.9 million. 113.9 million is spread to 7,700 islands in the Philippines. Some islands are inhabited, some are not. Uh, some are there in the morning, some, are, some islands are not there at the night. So if you are living in an island that's only can be seen in the morning, that's very dangerous, right? <laughs> and so, but in Manila, the capital where our church is located, we have in, 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 a, in a lot area of 620 square miles, or square, yeah, square miles, we have 14.7 million people. So you can imagine how congested the, uh, the capital of the Philippines is. And now there are, in the whole Philippines, there are around 700 church, message churches. Now, for statistics' sake, let's say that we have an average of 50 
members per church times 700, that would be 35,000 church, right? Uh, 35,000 people. Compared to the population of the Philippines, we are not even 1% of the population. This makes the preaching of the prophet one in a million so true to us. That so many people living in our country and yet so many uh, uh, small group of believers. And what a privilege. When I reflect on these things, looking at the demographics, I would see that we are so privileged that all of the millions of millions of people, rich or poor, old or young, female or fe male or female, we are the only ones that were elected and chosen by God. Whether you are in the Philippines, in Canada, in the U.S., in Europe, or in any parts of the world, there's only a minority of the people that are in the message. And it is a great privilege and honor. But sometimes we take it so much for granted. It's some, it's, it's some sort of, it's like just so ordinary. Okay, I'm a message believer. And we don't put so much importance on that. And people will put importance of, on on how they have a title like doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, whatever your profession is. But once, as a message believer, we don't give so much attention. Because if we do, we will drop everything and anything just to be in the church on a Sunday. It's a little bit hurting, but it is true. See? You will make a priority to be in the church. You will make it a priority to be the person that the Lord wants you to be. Now, I'll give you scriptures on this. The danger of making things ordinary that you don't give too much importance anymore. Let's open our Bibles in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 6. 2 Samuel, chapter 6. Most often, we, we, we read these verses... When we're talking about trying to do God's service outside of it. Now, we will look, it, look at it in another angle. Verse 1, chapter 6 of Second Samuel. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Valley of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God. Whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwells between the cherubims. And they sat the, the ark of God upon a new cart. Now, there, this is where the, the, the mistake comes in. They put the ark of God in a new cart. All right? And brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. Now, just, just, just take note of the names of these people. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all of the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forty sons to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. I thought the ark of God was a protection of Israel, but he died right beside the ark of God. Why? Because Uzzah touched the ark. And he knows, and the Israel knows, that it is only the priests who can touch the ark. Now, why would Uzzah Knowing all these things, touch the ark. He was the son of Abinadab, servant of God. They know the scriptures. But why would he violate these things? Now to understand this, let's go back to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 7. This is the chapter after, you know, the ark was stolen by the Philistines, but it didn't do them any good. Right? And it went back to Israel. It was brought back, uh, this ark was brought back, and there was a revival. 
So let's read for the first two verses of chapter 7. And the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim, that the time was long. Now notice that, the time was long. How long? For it was 20 years, and all of the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So, just, just put this in your imagination once, you know, uh, uh, for, for a moment, and said, for example, this is the ark. It was brought in the house of Abinadab, and it stayed there 20 years. So maybe Uzzah and Ahio were still young kids. And it was placed in the house of Abinadab, and Eleazar, his son, kept the ark. The name of Uzzah, the name of Ahio was not even mentioned in this time because maybe they were still small boys. And that ark stayed in the house of Abinadab for 20 long years. You know, if you have something new in your house, let's say you bought a simple furniture, a beautiful furniture in your house, and the first, I would say two years, three years, you always clean that piece of furniture. It's so beautiful. It's in the center of your, uh, of your living room. And once it's, it gets older and older and older, you remove it, you change it with the new furniture, and you just put it in the garage. That furniture becomes ordinary. And these boys growing up, they can see the ark. They, they, they know that it is the ark of the covenant, but it has become so ordinary to them. So ordinary that they, they fail to give reverence to the ark. They know in their hearts that they cannot touch the ark. But again, it became so ordinary. That when they grew up and it was being brought out of the house of Abinadab, they were pushing the cart, they were driving the cart. And when it fell, Uzzah, having the right intention, don't want the ark to fall, but he took hold of the, the ark that was prohibited for non-priests. Now, what I'm trying to say here is that you may have good intentions, but it is, if it is not according to, pro, the, to the provided way of the Lord, it will not please God. The prophet said, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You can have good intentions, but if you do not do it the way the Lord wants it to do, it's still wrong. So, if we make this message, now I'm going to our respective families. I'm teaching this to my children, to my wife. Being a pastor in our church, I am a pastor in our church, but if I go home, I am the husband of my wife. I am the father of my children. So my words in the pulpit could be so powerful, but when I go home, it is the words of Papa. It is the word of sweetheart. See? It's not as powerful as the word of a pastor. And sometimes they, it becomes ordinary to them. Well, other people would, would, would want the time to spend, to spend with the pastor. But here are your children, here, are your, here is your wife. It, if it becomes so ordinary to them, they will miss the opportunity that the Lord has given them. And sometimes they realize, I'm, I'm not referring to my family, but some, I've seen families uh, in, in, in the Philippines that when, when the pastor dies, and that's the time that the wife or the children will realize, oh, we have such a privilege for many years to be living in the house of the pastor. See? Why? Why? Because it became so ordinary. And sometimes the message becomes so ordinary to us that we fail to realize that not everybody out there in the street can understand the message. They can read the track, they can read the spoken word, but if God will not open their heart, eyes of understanding, they will not understand anything. But you, me, all of us, we were given this, this privilege to understand what we are reading. We should never take it as, or we not, should not take it for granted. It should be always special 24 hours a day. See? Because not everybody in this world will understand what we have understood. See? So as we go along, as we wait and wait and wait for the coming of the Lord, sometimes things become ordinary. We go to church, we're not excited anymore. We just do it by ritual. Again, I'm not referring to you, but I'm referring as a whole. 
And if we do those things, especially if you are in your comfort zone, right? And you will, you, you will realize that it's not hard to go. There's a church in the southern part of the Philippines that you have to walk seven hours in muddy mountains full of mud to get to church. So if the church service starts at 9 o'clock, you have to wake up just after midnight just to walk to be in the church. And they were never late. They have no cars. These are mountains. I've showed Brother Tim the, the, the video of these people because they were giving used clothing. And even me, I cannot do that seven hours walking just to be in the church. Even if you take a shower before going to church, you will take another shower when you reach the church. Because you're all perspiring, right? Full of mud. But they're so happy. They're so happy doing these things. And I'm thankful to the Lord that we don't need to do that. We in our, in our place. But it gives us an inspiration and encouragement that there are people who really loves the, hearing the word of God. And they will do it. And we might not even imagine that they were doing these things, but it is true that they are doing this. No? Because the message is not ordinary to them. And I pray that it, will, that it will not be an ordinary thing. Because sometimes when you start getting the comfort, having a new vehicle, before you were walking seven hours, now you drive for seven minutes. And now that you're driving seven minutes, you're always late. So I will pray, Lord, take away all the cars of these people. <laughs> See? Because when there's discomfort, they do more for the Lord. Right? So as, as we can see, that we should never make this message ordinary. Now we are living in the days of ripening. I don't believe that we are in the planting season. I, I, I always appreciate the, the man of God back in the late 60s to the early 70s who, who labored to make this message available to us right now. Right? They labored so much. They may not have the gift that the ministry has, has today, but they, they were sincere in their hearts. Otherwise, we don't know the message today. Right? And the prophet said during the ripening time, that's the greatest hour of the gospel. It, that's, that's the time to get the word out for the time is at hand. Okay? So when I was in Cloverdale, we were discussing about mission works. And Brother uh, Tim Dodd was there. And of course, he's the missions director. And we were talking about missions. And we were also, I was talking to Brother Ed also about that. And what's the greatest need? And that's the, always the question. What's the greatest need in this part, in this part, in this part? And I, I would say... I believe we have saturated most of the lands or, or, the, or, or the people with the message books and the message translations. There's still work to be done. We will not stop. Though we, it should not be stopped. The printing of the books still needed and everything. But I think, the, for me, this is my opinion. I may be wrong. But I think the thing we need to do now is to, to, to mature the people, to ground them, to establish them. To explain to them. Because they can have the word. They can have the spoken word and everything. But unless somebody explains it to them. Not, 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 I'm not talking about the strange doctrines. The extreme left and the extreme right. The mainstream. I believe that there's still God called ministers. To explain the truth of the word of God. To expound it to them. Right? Because no amount of having all the materials of the message. If nobody will go there to preach and explain these revealed truths. Amen? And so, as the, Bible, as, as, the, as, the, as the prophet said in end time evangelism, he said, stone. Stone is a confession of your faith. And he said, what good is the stones if you haven't got a stone mason to shape them out? We need God called stone masons. All right? To shape this confession to the hearts of the people. And, and this true, they, 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 he, he, the, the prophet said, we need a true stonemason with a good, sharp tool to shape them. Not to entertain the people, but sharp tool. And this is a sharp tool. 
It is a sword with two edged sword, uh, with two edges to cut out anything that will hinder you from being uh, a perfect man that God wants us to be. So, uh, this stone mason will, will shape us in, in, into the fitly place in the house of God. End time evangelism, taking the stones and shaping them. Who are these people, the stone masons? These are God-called ministers to go out in the field, to have this, this genuine burden, amen, to, to, to talk to the people, amen, and, 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 and to, go, to go out of their comfort zone. I, I, I'm in my late 50s. I started going to missions in, when I was in my early 30s, and time is running so fast, and now I'm happy to see that there are now younger ministers, being raised by the Lord, not only in, in, different, in, in other countries, even in this country. And one day, we have seen the first, I would say, the first generation ministers. They, are, they got old. Some of them have faded in the scene. And we, are, we, we were young ones that are now getting older. And if the Lord tarries, we need new ministers to come forth. That's why Paul said, I charge you, Timothy. Preach the gospel. Be instant, in season, out of season. It's not just being a preacher. It's, it's asking the Lord, what, what burden will you give me? And I'm, I, I don't know. I'm not a prophet. But under you who are hearing the, under the influence of my voice, the Lord might be talking to you today or tonight. That young person might be you. That person, uh, the Lord might be talking to you right now. Get out of your comfort zone. Do something for the Lord. And when you ask some, for something for the Lord, God is working in both hands. There's a need and there's something to respond to that need. It's not monetary. It's not material. We need stone masons to shape the confession of these believers. Brother, uh, the prophet will always say, Brother Branham, that the gospel is from the east, going to the north, going to the west, and going back to the east. And if you follow the track of the message, since it was preached here in the, I mean in the United States, it is going back now to the east. Right? And we need stone masons in the field. Not like us who are getting older, but the younger ones, the young blood. With the gift of technology, with the gift of strength, with the gift of anointing, to shape the confession of the new believers, right? So if you are listening to this, to this uh, preaching, God might be calling to you. You might, you might not know that you have the burden until you hear, you're hearing this right now, right? And then something is created in your heart. Okay? As I've said a while ago, we are, we are one body given different gifts. We need to mature the people on the field, on different places. We have to establish them in the faith. No matter how few we are, the prophet said, Jesus doesn't count numbers. He counts, or Jesus counts characters, not members. We are not going outside in the field to recruit members. You want to look, end-time evangelism has two parts. Looking for the last predestinated seed and shaping the confession of those people who have already accepted the message. Amen? So we see, we have, we know that Malachi chapter 4 will turn the hearts of the children to the Father. This is, this is common knowledge to all message believers. But Malachi 4 will point you to Ephesians chapter 4. For the perfecting of the saints, we need the five-fold ministry. Right? If only Malachi 4, no five-fold ministry, we will never be perfected. Perfection means maturing. See? And once Malachi 4 points to Ephesians chapter 4, it will point to Revelation chapter 4. That says, come a feeder. And I will show you things that are to be. See? It, that means to say that when we come, don't, be con don't contend yourself of just being a message believer. 
You have to, we have to go higher in revelation so that we can go deeper in the relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The higher we get in the mystery of God, the deeper we get into our relationship with God. So we need this revelation. We need the, the fivefold ministry to, to perfect the saints. The prophet always says that we live in a three-room house. He said, I don't care if you have five rooms, five bedrooms, or, or many parlors in your heart, or, or two kitchens, three kitchens. We still live in a three-room house. The kitchen is where we eat, the parlor or modern-day language. The living room is where we fellowship. And in the bedroom is where we rest. Our visitors can go to the kitchen. They can go to the living room. But only the husband and the wife can go to the bedroom. Because it is a place of intimacy. See? And in God's order, the kitchen, he said, it is the hearing of the word, eating of the good things of God. It is the, the stage of justification and the parlor is where you fellowship with the saints of likewise faith. And it is the, the stage of uh, sanctification. People are sitting together, having fellowship, cleansed from all our sins. But in the bedroom, it is a place of rest. It is a place of security. Why? Because we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's between you and God. Amen. See, it's, not, it's, it's no longer uh, everybody and all the, we, we are happy with all the fellowship. You can be happy by yourself because you know that God is with you. Amen. See? And see, but when we do this, and some, this, is, this is where most of the message believers uh, stop. Okay, I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit, sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so I will content myself and just wait for the coming of the Lord. But the message tells us we are saved to serve. And how do you serve God? You look for something that God is telling you to do. It's not on your own opinion. I would like to do this. That is you. But the first thing to do is kneel down. Ask the Lord, what would you want me to do? The woman said she had done what she could. Because that is all she could do. Now the question on the floor today, tonight is this. Have you done what God or what you could do for the Lord? Or have we asked God? See, we, we, may have do, we may have been doing something for God for many years in our life. But have we done all that we could do? Or just sometimes after doing something, okay, I refrain for a little bit and... Just relax for a while. You see, time is no longer. We need to be up and going. The Bible said, occupy till I come. Rest if you must, but don't you quit. Sometimes we, we, we get so worried in doing these things, doing something for the Lord, but don't stop. Because God is not finished with you until God is finished with you. He will have something to do for you, whether you are a, 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 an elderly person, a sister or a brother. There's always something to do for the work of the Lord. Amen? And I was reading this, this message, Lamb's Book of Life. It was preached in June 3 of 1956. It's an old message. And he, he keeps on repeating this phrase, what is value? What is value? What is value? And he talks about popularity, uh, being made known, pat in the back, people will, will give you accolades and everything. Or he was talking about money that you can give millions of dollars to the poor. Yeah? Or material things, you can shine your car until you can, your face can reflect on the shining car, right? All these things. But he says, it vanishes away and stays here on earth. Have you ever seen a person died with all his, his or her properties being buried with him? I have seen that in China, but not in Canada. But even though they bring it to their graves, it means nothing. Because the prophet said the only thing that we can bring to the other side is our character. Right? And so what is value? He said, but if I get a soul saved, just one soul, for Christ. Brother, 
As long as there's an eternity, the glory of God will rest on that soul. When I read this quote many years ago, I said, everything that I'm doing at present, I mean during that time, has no eternal value. And it made me think over and over again that the only thing that will have eternal value is at least I can win one soul for the Lord. At least one soul. I don't even have to go overseas. It may be my neighbor. It may be my mother. It may be my brother. It may be part of our household. See? And sometimes it's so, it's so trivial. It's, it's so small that you don't see it as a big accomplishment. But when you go to eternity, that's the only thing that has value. Amen. So the question is, have we won a soul for God? It may not be directly, but by, by the prayers that you make, the offering that you make, the encouragement that we give to ministering brothers going out on missions, it, makes, it will make a big difference. Even a small child will, will tell you, Pastor, I'll be praying for you when you go overseas. Then that makes a difference. See? And little did you know, all these little things that we can do for, for, for the furtherance of the kingdom of God, for the message to be spread, because we know that this gospel will be preached, then the end shall come. But the message is not for everybody. It is for the elected ones alone. It may be a hard thing to say, but not everybody will accept the message. But this is the message that will prepare us for the coming of the Lord, for the rapture. See? And so, as we, as we, as we continue to live in this life, see, we have to realize that all these things will be in vain if we will not tie it to what God wants us to do. If you would read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, the richest man in the world, the, the wisest king that ever lived, King Solomon wrote these things. And we will not read the whole, the whole uh, chapter, but he said, I said in my heart, go to now, I'll prove thee with mirth. Therefore enjoy play. First things, he said, I would want to, to live in pleasure. And then he realizes, in the end, it's all emptiness. The second part, he says, I will, I will do great works. Riches and everything. I made me great works, builded me houses, planted me vineyards, made me gardens and orchards, planted trees and them, all kinds of fruits. I made me full of water, these things and those things and that things. And yet he said, there's no enduring satisfaction. No satisfaction. Right? And then he went to wisdom. He said, wisdom is better than folly. But even you're wise or even you're foolish, you will still have an end. Right. right? And so whatever he does, he says, all is vanity. Until finally he concluded in chapter 12. This is my conclusion. Fear the Lord and obey his commandments. For that is the whole duty of man. This is the wisest king that ever lived on earth. And he tried everything and anything that could make him happy, could, uh, could have an enduring satisfaction. But there is a poor man by the name of Lazarus. He was born poor. He lived poor. He died poor. But then he wake up in the next dimension. He was in Abraham's bosom. See? As our financial status in this world has nothing to do with our eternal destiny. No matter what, what you eat, what you wear, what you drink, what the type of car you drive, it has nothing to do with our eternal destiny. It is, it is what we do in this life that defines who we are. What do you do in life? What is the thing that has eternal value? What is that thing that will last until eternity? So I think it behooves all of us to think and to rethink how we are walking in this life. I'm not saying this because you're not doing something. I, I, I believe and I trust that with, with the many years that this church is existing, you have done so much for different countries to receive the message. We are one of the recipients. The reason why I can, I can preach this way because Brother Hildebrand has 
as the vision to send the message books to countries that never read the message. I am a product of that labor. Otherwise, I will not be here preaching to you. Not because I know more, but because God has ordained me to do these things. But if not for the work of the early missionaries that came to our country, went out of their comfort zone, gave their money, their time, and their effort, we will not be here. There will be no Philippine believers of the message. But because maybe your grandfather, your grandmother, that were part of this church during the early 70s, who have gave their life, their offering, their prayers, and all these, these things that they can do, and the ministry in this church have went out of their comfort zone, gone, gone to places that is out of their league, I would say, it has reached the people. It has, it has looked, uh, it, it found the last predestinated seed or the predestinated seed and they continue to shape the confession of these people. So now those are over. Those days are over. But yet we have a new generation of ministers today. We have a generation of young men with the strength with the desire and with this, this, this burden to continue what was started in the earlier years. So as I said this morning, there's a continuity of what we will do. It's not for our credit. I remember Brother Biscal said, I don't care what, who gets the credit as long as the job is done. Right. And if we have that kind of principle, we will just work and work and do and do until the job is done. And at the end, we can go and ask the Lord and tell the Lord, uh, Lord, I have run my race. I've kept my faith. I have finished my course. Amen. I am not very young as a minister and neither am I very old. But I know that if the Lord will tarry for more years, I will get a little bit weaker and older. And we need, that's why now in our church we are training younger ministers to come. You know, one trait of a good leader is this. You train leaders while leading. You don't wait until you, you're bedridden and you start turning over. While you are leading, while you are strong, you, ter, you, you, you train leaders. And I believe Brother Hildebrand does that, that. Brother Pastor Ed here is doing that. So don't take for granted to the young ministers the position that God has placed in your hands. Because I think that is the, the only position that will matter. When rapture comes. It's not our secular job. It's not our corporate position. It not, it's not whatever we have studied. It is our position in the body of Christ. And the prophet said, if we know our position, if we know, if we are positionally placed and we know who we are, then rapture will take place. If you want to expedite the coming of the Lord, let, let us be up and doing looking for the last predestinated seed. You have done, this church have done a lot in the mission field, and I trust that the Lord will continue to use this church. And mind you, brothers and sisters, it's not just that you have done. You have left that inspiration in our hearts. That's why it's like a, I would say, a 100-meter relay. You're passing the baton. As you go to one country, you pass the baton. Then you go to another country, you pass the baton. And the natives, when they get saved, they're, they're being used by the Lord. The reason why we are doing these things, because there was once a time that we catch the inspiration from the older missionaries. So young brothers, you should be proud that in this church came out missionaries that reached out to the ends of the world. And now, you have the responsibility. You have the responsibility. I charge you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the responsibility to continue what was started in this church. Amen. Amen. So, it is my prayer that if we will not see again each other, we will continue to do what the Lord has given us to do. And at the end of the day, we can, you know, we can talk the whole eternity of how the Lord was so good to us, of how the Lord used us, not for our own credit, 
But again, as we always say, it's only a privilege that we serve the Lord. So I won't make this long. I know you got my point. Amen. And I wanted to make, to make you happy this night <laughs> by cutting it short. So again, please pray for us. We have lots of things to do back in Asia. Uh, you may not be able to go there, but with your prayers, uh, just remember us, that we are doing something there. You are doing something. We will pray for one another. We can strengthen one another. And as the saying goes, if uh, we continue to pray for one another one day, we don't need to pray for one another because we will be in eternity. We'll be sharing the testimonies of the goodness of God in this earthly life. So God bless you all, and we love you, and we'll be praying for you. Amen. Amen. God is speaking to our hearts. And I believe he was speaking to all of us tonight. And I don't, it's not the type of service that you just want to say, well, I, I heard that and you leave. I think it's a type of service that let's go home and think on these things. Let's meditate on these things. And yes, I've done this. Uh, you know, there's probably two categories that just taking the title. She hath done what she could. You know, we, we can do what's required but we also can do what's in our heart. And uh, there, there was an example given in the Bible of a servant who would serve his master and, and he would serve his master first and then he would sit down and eat, not at the same time. So a real believer wants to do more than he's required to do. I believe God's put that in our hearts. Amen. Let's stand together. We appreciate that, Brother Vernon. We appreciate um, you just speaking from your heart to us. And uh, we, 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 I believe, have caught what the Lord has been saying to us tonight. I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy word. I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice. And it
Christ died.